Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Brent Marchand. He is an author, journalist, blogger, lifelong movie fan, and longtime student of metaphysics. Brent is the author of Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and he has just released a new book called Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction. It's a reader-friendly look at the different ways that the practice of conscious creation, also known as the Law of Attraction, is illustrated through film. It's a fascinating book, and I am so delighted to welcome him to this show. Welcome, Brent. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Miriam. I really appreciate it. Well, I certainly enjoyed your book, and it was a little bit frustrating because I kept on wanting to stop and say, ooh, you know, circle that that movie, that recommendation, and go see it. But, of course, I couldn't because I had to read the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that's nice is that anybody who is reading it can, uh, can always put it down for a little bit if they want to go watch the movie in question and enjoy it and get the message from it that is, you know, imparted in the book, too. Tell us about the format of the book first. Sure. What I did is I took a, a number of various conscious creation principles, and you know, I outlined them with a brief introduction in each chapter and then followed up the introduction with uh, reviews of five films that helped to illustrate the concept in question. So you're getting essentially initially a look at the uh, theory or the, uh, the, the uh, concept involved, followed by films that offer you the uh, application uh, of how it gets illustrated through storylines in movies. And the one thing that I did in terms of the way I organized the book is um, the, the information in the different chapters sort of build upon one another, going from one chapter to the next. Uh, so this way you're getting um, to see a progression in terms of understanding how one concept leads to another then leads to another, so that you get an overall picture of what conscious creation or the law of attraction is all about. Mm-hmm. Now, you started with a degree in journalism. So yes. what sparked your interest in metaphysics? Well, the interest in metaphysics even preceded my, um, uh, my college days. Um, ever since I was a kid, I've always been searching to find, you know, the great answers to the universe, understanding why we're here, things like that. Precocious and, little uh, chap. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I came from a, a fairly a traditional um, Episcopalian background, and it really didn't answer the questions for me. So I've been on a search almost from the time that I was a, a kid you know, in one form or another, and by the time I got to college, I uh, started studying philosophy and metaphysics and started taking on, you know, new interests and new ideas. Uh, but nothing really clicked for me until I came across um, the conscious creation material, which I found through the works of author Jane Roberts and the Seth material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading that, I just felt a light bulb going off. I just said yeah. to me, this, this resonates. This makes sense. Uh, and I've gone on to read a number of other materials since then that, echo, you know, those same concepts. Mm -hmm. So it really struck a chord saying, okay, I think I finally, you know, have the answer here. Uh, And as far as the movies are concerned, that's, again, another passion of mine that goes all the way back to childhood. And um, what I did when I began to um, have success with using the conscious creation material, a lot of people asked me, "Um, gee, this really works for you. Can you explain it? And I initially described it in philosophical terms, and I got a lot of blank stares looking back at me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so Mm -hmm. I said, I think I need to come up with a way to illustrate this. 
And those who've known me all my life know that um, I often, in everyday conversation, will reference movies to illustrate points. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, I've been very often known to say something like, you know, that reminds me of a line from such and such a movie, or that reminds me of a scene from such and such a movie. And I would go on to explain it, and then people would get the point that I was trying to make. So I thought, why not do the same thing to explain how conscious creation works? And that's essentially how the two books were born. How fascinating. Uh, when did you write the first book? How long ago? Uh, I wrote Get the Picture back in 2007, uh-huh. and I'm getting ready to re-release it in a new edition uh, next month. Uh, and this time it's going to be available both in print and in ebook format, so readers will have a choice on that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Consciously Created Cinema came out um, a little earlier this year, and that is also available in both formats. Hmm. Very good. Uh, obviously, in the ebook format, you're going to have live links to each of these movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there, are, there are links in there. I don't know that there are links uh, to, the, to the movies themselves, but... Um, they're At least to the easy. trailers, right? <laughs> yeah, they're, e- they're certainly easy enough to find online. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so tell us about your view of the law of attraction. What are the most important elements that can make it work for us? Well, I think the most important thing we need to understand first is that the law of attraction is based on the beliefs that we hold, um, that what we're thinking and feeling on the inside uh, is what we're putting out to the universe to say, I want to see this manifest in my life. And when those thoughts become joined with the power of the universe, uh, they end up creating the reality that we experience. So if we want to create a reality that we're happy with, it's really important to get a good handle on just what those beliefs are in the first place, Um, which might sound easily enough, easy enough, but I think a lot of times people will convince themselves that they think they know what they're thinking, but really don't. Um, so it involves, you know, taking a really good look at yourself, saying, what am I really putting out here? Um, because that's going to determine what I get back. So I think that, yeah, that's, that's a really important point to emphasize because we so often think, you know, in, in the popular literature of the law of attraction as like manifesting your Ferrari or, or, uh, you know, perfect lover, but Everything that we think about, even the negative stuff, is what we're manifesting. So oh, absolutely. That's yeah. the point of yeah, I've, being I've aware that, of what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah I've, I've often said that, that um, conscious creation of the law of attraction is not like a salad bar. You, know, you can't pick and choose which <laughs> elements you are creating and which ones you're not because it's, you're creating the totality of it for better or worse. And if there's something that you don't like, then you need to take a really hard look at why am I putting this out in the first place. And that can be difficult. I often find that that's a point where a lot of people will give up on the process because they say, well, you know, I'm going to take my metaphysical ball and go home at that point. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't work like that. It's important to understand that if you are putting out those kinds of negative thoughts and creating negative results, you have to ask yourself why. What are you gaining from it? What's the benefit here? And oftentimes you'll come to realize that there isn't any. (laughs) So... (laughs) then that's the time to rewrite your beliefs to come up with a better outcome. Um, And it's something also that you have to feel sincerely. It's not something like you can just, you know, snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm going to believe this from now on. You know, Mm -hmm. um, then it it becomes wishful thinking. 
so I, I don't want to I don't want to mislead uh, listeners into thinking that um, just kind of mouthing the words to change what you say you're thinking is going to be enough. You have to actually feel it on the inside sincerely as well. Well, you said in, in the introduction that you created the book in layers or levels and, and each one builds on the next one. So your first chapter was about probabilities. It was sort of focusing on the scientific underpinnings or um, understanding of why the law of attraction works. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, basically, um, when we're approaching the conscious creation process, at any given point in time, we have an infinite number of choices available to us to manifest the reality that we're going to experience, again, based on what beliefs that we hold. And um, it ties up with science in, in, the, in the standpoint that when you look at how quantum physics works, quantum physics essentially maintains the same thing, that at any given point in time, there are an infinite number of probabilities that can unfold before you uh, from a scientific standpoint. So I see the, the, the metaphysical and the scientific issues here being essentially two sides of the same coin. Um, so it's important to understand um, that the parallels at work here uh, are not, they're not at odds with one another. They're really very much in cooperation with one another. And I think um, the more we grasp that, um, the better we, the more we'll, I think, perhaps um, give credibility to the process. Because there are some people who may look at, at, at the situation from a purely metaphysical standpoint and say, well, that just sounds too good to be true. But if you put it also in a scientific context, they'll say, well, of course, that's, that's rational and logical and makes sense. Um, but if you understand the, the issue from both perspectives and realize that they're really not that, one, that different from one another, uh, you have, I think, an even greater understanding to say, okay, let's, let's take the ball and roll with this now. Let's make this process work. You um, have a number of movies in that section, um, and I actually interviewed Amit Goswami when The Quantum Activist came out. Um, and the, the term quantum physics has been almost used to death by New Age teachers um, because it covers some fairly complex science, but at its foundation, it's a very simple um, process. It's, it's the interaction of the observer or consciousness with the field of infinite possibilities. And when you focus consciousness on one thought, that's when the universe, the reality, collapses to that single choice and that's when reality is created. And it's the interaction of the observer or the, the, the individual consciousness that makes that choice. So that's why there really is a scientific underpinning to all of this metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. So, you know, don't, don't um, dismiss it. Now, your, your next... Oh, absolutely, and that's, and that's why I chose to lead off that chapter and the book in general with that particular film, because he does such a great job of explaining the concept in the film. Um, 
in, in many ways, he builds upon uh, some of the comments that he made in a previous film uh, called What the Bleep Do We Know, mm-hmm. which I profiled and get the picture, wherein he described uh, all of this basically quantum physics as the science of possibility. And I think that's just a really wonderful little encapsulated way of describing what this is all about because um, we do have that infinite range of possibilities available to us and what we choose is what we decide to believe and observe and make happen. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think what the bleep do we know was a real watershed moment in um, the development of new consciousness and the use of cinema, um, I think, was so powerful. It, it, it just made magnified um, the impact that uh, far beyond what any book could have done. And and I think that your use, your you know, latching on to cinema to illustrate this, is brilliant. Personally, well done. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I always. You know, I, I thought that one of the things that people could benefit from by seeing these ideas illustrated through film was, it, you know, when you think about how a lot of uh, philosophical, spiritual, metaphysical, religious concepts have, ex- have been explained over the ages, they've almost always been done by way of story. And it provides a perfect metaphor for helping to illustrate the point that the information is trying to make. And to me, movies are really just the latest incarnation of that particular tradition. Uh, the main difference now, of course, is that you have all the high-tech sound and images and all that wonderful technical wizardry to make it that much more vivid. But really, it's, it's a continuation of an old tradition. And I think when we start to frame it in that particular context, we begin to realize just how much value and benefit um, these uh, pictures have to offer us. Mm-hmm. So going from that foundation, what do you think is the next most important aspect? Well, once you understand that we have an infinite number of probabilities available to us at any given time, then uh, the next step is to understand what drives those probabilities. And that's where the question of belief comes in. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, the, in Consciously Created Cinema, I have a chapter that I titled Faith and Belief. And the point that I make there is it's important to understand what beliefs you're holding on to and how, 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 hardly, how hard you're holding on to them. Uh, and that's where the question of faith comes in. Um, and when you understand the importance of those two particular concepts, you can then um, get a better handle on understanding exactly what's going to manifest as a result of what it is that you're thinking and feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course... Your, your next chapter is perspective, um, and that, that really is beautifully illustrated by the movies that you chose. Explain to us the, um, the role of perspective. Sure. Perspective almost is a, is a kind of um, like a consciousness template that you draw from in which um, it provides sort of an overarching pattern uh, for understanding all the, all the beliefs that you're holding. Uh, I, I like to think of it as uh, being comparable to the operating system on your computer, and all the particular beliefs that you have are the applications. 
So perspective gives you the template and then um, the beliefs give you the individual applications and, and they'll show you how, um, you know, a recurring theme may occur from one area of your life to another. Um, they might not seem uh, related on the surface, but when you dig past the surface um, qualities and you look at what's driving them underneath, you'll see that, oh, I, I'm holding a particular outlook with regard to money or relationships or career. Mm -hmm. um, and if that I'm not color. happy, yeah, and if I'm not happy with those different areas of life, maybe I need to look at, at um, changing the, the core beliefs that mm -hmm. are involved with creating this uh, template that we use, that we call perspective. Absolutely. And of course, we do have free choice. And that's your next chapter. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's when, once you've uh, figured out what it is that you're believing, uh, for better or worse, uh, you have the question of choice uh, to either hold on to them or rewrite them, depending upon what you think is going to suit you best. And uh, also the question of intent, which is saying, how exactly am I going to use this? And what are my goals in achieving this by making this particular choice? Mm -hmm. So they give you kind of the next building block in, ter in terms of getting you to a point of understanding what kind of reality you want to create for yourself. Now, I love that you have a chapter on integrity. Um, one of the agreements in uh, Dom Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, is be impeccable with your word. That means stand and do every in your in your truth and do everything with integrity that is something that uh, just is so needed in the world today when you look at what's happening around us in the financial sector in the business sector you see where integrity is just trampled underfoot well that's absolutely true and it's so important that we really get real with ourselves because if you try to fudge the outcome, saying, well, I'll lead people to believe this is what I think, but this is what I'm really thinking, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the results you're going to get is in line with what you're really thinking and not necessarily what you say that you want to achieve. Um, and by, by deceiving yourself into thinking one way as opposed to another, you end up getting disappointed. And you could potentially end up disappointing those around you or, you know, creating all kinds of havoc because you're just not being honest with yourself. Yeah, you're um, trying to game the system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Don't so play really games important. with Mother Nature. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's, it's so important that, to realize that you really need to be operating from the standpoint of integrity because that's the way you're going to get genuine results. Mm -hmm. That's the way you're going to come closest to realizing uh, through physical manifestations, the reality that you really and truly want to create for yourself. What are some of the favorite movies that you have that you think, um, you know, are such gems that everybody should see? Uh, in relation to integrity in particular or just movies in uh, No, in, in, from your book, in relation to the law of attraction in general. Well, um, picking up from the, the question of integrity as a starting point, one of my favorites is the movie Avatar. Um, mm -hmm. In the film, we have a character who's uh, torn between doing something that is uh, very self-serving as opposed to something that's going to be serving the greater good. And 
he has to decide for himself which is my really truest intent here because that's mm-hmm. going to determine the outcome that we get. So I just love that movie from that particular standpoint. It just illustrated the point so, so very, very well. That was such an incredible movie. I mean, it, 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 the, the, the computer graphics and everything, it was just mind-bogglingly yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it was really, really stunning to look at. And, and also, you know, there were so many other um, metaphysical concepts in that movie that um, illustrated other points that were just as important. I mean, I actually, when I, when I wrote Consciously Created Cinema, I had a hard time figuring a place to put that movie because I could have put it in any number of several chapters. Sure. Um, sure. There's a chapter in the book also about uh, our, our sense of connection. And I could have easily put it in that chapter too because there's a, a wonderful scene in there where um, the lead character is welcomed into a community and you see him being welcomed in with all the members of the community joining arms with one another. And as the mm-hmm. camera pulls back, you see this ever-widening circle of people who are all locked arm-in-arm, arm, all as one of this greater wholeness. And it was just such a stunningly moving scene that, you know, I could have, like I said, I could have easily put, that, put this movie in that chapter as well, and it would have been just as fitting. <laughs> right. Yeah, so there's, there's so many things to be gained from that movie that... I just, I just loved it. You know, I was so surprised that many, uh, way too many of the movies that you mention, I had never even heard of. <laughs> well, one of the things that I did with both books is I tried to kind of level the playing field for uh, the movies that I included. Um, in both books, there are a number of very well-known pictures, like Avatars, I just mentioned, or mm-hmm. also um, The King's Speech, uh, movies that really got a lot of notoriety. But then there's also a lot of independent movies and a lot of uh, documentaries that have been made that have very quietly uh, made points that illustrate these concepts so eloquently that don't get you know, nearly the level of notice or attention that they probably deserve. So one of the things I've tried to do with, with my writings is make viewers aware that you have these options out there. And with the way movies are being distributed these days, um, you're not dependent upon waiting for it to come to your local theater to go see it. You know, you can watch it over the Internet or you can watch it on CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and this way, um, some of these um, probably lesser-known movies have an opportunity to make their way into the lives of people who might not see them otherwise. Well, I'm so glad you did that because I've got, I've got my, uh, my, my movie list. <laughs> uh, oh, people, you know, Christmas is coming up. You get your, get your uh, gift list together and look at uh, Brent's book because it, it could be a wonderful source of inspiration on every level. Well, it's interesting because, you know, in recent years, um, the, the Oscars broadcast has, has been suffering from some ratings anemia. And one of the uh, complaints that a lot of viewers have had is, well, we don't know most of the films that are being nominated. And I think, again, that's because they may be relying on these um, traditional movie channels of, um, you know, going to the theater to see things. Mm-hmm. But... Now you have these other options, and if you want to search them out through, you know, Netflix or any of the other streaming and CD services that are out there, um, you can still you can find your way to these movies and, and have a viewing experience that you might not have had otherwise. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are some of the other uh, chapter headings that you have that we, we, we want to talk about? There's, yep, you go. Oh, okay. Uh, well, one of the most important chapters to me in the book is a chapter on fear and courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many times we have a wonderful intent of trying to do something, but we're afraid to see what the outcome is going to be, and we end up not acting on it. And I, I think that's such a tragedy because we end up missing out on opportunities for personal growth, for creative development, um, and a lot of times all it takes is just a little bit more of a push to say, I can do this. And getting over that hump a lot of times can take us to places in our, in our experience that we never thought possible. So um, I've, I've always... Um, believe that that is one of the probably um, more understated concepts in conscious creation that we need to pay attention to, that if we overcome our fears and face our challenges with courage and live heroically, we can go on to some wonderful places that we never thought possible. Yeah, I remember someone said that courage is not the absence of fear. It's acknowledging fear and then doing what you're have to do in spite of it. Yes, facing the fear and doing it anyways. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, what, what's a good illustration? What was the movie that you felt illustrated that? One uh, of the movies. Fear and Courage? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah, the movie I really liked there was The King's Speech. Oh, right. Um, yeah, it was such a wonderful movie on so many levels. When I, when I first heard about that movie being released... And they described it as uh, a movie about, you know, the King of England and his dealings with his speech therapist. I thought, well, there's one where I can certainly catch a nap, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But when I saw the movie, I absolutely loved it. It's just such a a wonderful crowd pleaser in so many ways. And the performances are wonderful, and it's it's witty and funny and, and very touching when you see the way this very courageous monarch who didn't want to take on the role that he was thrust into, mm-hmm. uh, overcome his speech impediment to lead his country during a time of war. Just a wonderful, wonderful picture. And of course, the, the courage is just the flip side uh, of transformation, isn't it? Without, oh, without courage, you don't get to transformation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and there is a, there's a chapter on transformation uh, in the book, too. It comes toward the end. Um, but basically, it's, it's it involved with um, showing how you end up going from where you are to what you can become. And, um, and it does so in such a way that it's more than just about making change in your life. It's about really completely renovating yourself in ways that are totally different from what you've been previously. Well, it's really embodying the change. It's what you said earlier about belief. It's taking it down to the cellular level. Otherwise, it doesn't really manifest in your life. Absolutely. And, and one of the films that I chose for that chapter that I think mm. illustrates the concept well is The Blind Side, uh-huh. uh, where you have a, a, a kid from the streets of Memphis who is barely getting by and uh, ends up you know, creating the circumstances where he gets taken in by a family that's willing to support him and help him become who he can be, and he ends up becoming a star football player and having a life 
far different from what he grew up with and probably far different than what he could have ever imagined he would have had when he was um, growing up as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final chapter is called Transcendence. Tell us what that means. Well, Transcendence in, in some ways is it's kind of like taking the concept of transformation and putting on steroids. Uh, it's, it's the idea where you're not only just changing uh, in a way that's very different from how you were previously, but you're changing in a way where there's essentially no going back. Um, when you're in a transformative situation, there's always the possibility that you might possibly backslide. But when you're in a transcendent situation, um, you're clearly moving on to a place where there's, you're like past the point of no return. And I don't mean to make that sound in, in, a, in a bad sense, but it's a way that you are completely going to outgrow who you once were and become a totally different person from who you had been before. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, so revelatory in terms of uh, the kinds of things that you achieve, the kinds of experiences that you have, and just the kind of life that you lead overall. Yeah. And what was the... Uh, in fact, I don't think I um, saw any of the movies that you had under that. Um, one of the movies in that chapter uh, that I liked a lot was um, a movie called Hereafter uh, by Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. um, where he's dealing with characters who are contending with their relationship to various aspects of the afterlife. Yeah, I uh, never knew that Clint Eastwood made a movie about the afterlife. That yeah, really it surprised me. It, does, it really doesn't seem like the kind of movie that he would make, but he did a really a wonderful job with it. And uh, the movie has... Um, three storylines that run parallel and they all eventually intertwine with one another mm-hmm. um, where you have characters who are um, having to reconcile uh, their humanity and their, and, and their uh, mortality um, and their understanding that this isn't the end. This is just another chapter. Mm-hmm. And um, what you do with that knowledge in your current life will have tremendous impact on how you lead that life going forward. Mm. So, Brent, you also do uh, speaking and uh, where, in, in what types of venues? Well, I've done some speaking at, at various conscious creation conferences over the years, uh, a number of them related to, uh, again, specifically the Seth material, which I talked mm-hmm. about earlier. And I also do some online writing, uh, through my blog on my website at brentmarshawn.com. Yeah, I was going and, to say, how do we find yeah. it? Do you and want to also, spell that? Uh, sure, uh, B-R-E-N-T-M-A-R-C-H-A-N-T.com. Uh, mm-hmm. No space, all one word. Mm-hmm. And also through um, a website called vividlife.me, where I do reviews of current films from a conscious creation perspective. Uh, I have new reviews going up there just about every week, so uh, you get you can get more out of me than just my two books. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you're the IMDb of conscious cinema. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a very that's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I should add, though, that I, you know I don't I don't see everything that comes out, um, and in that respect, um, people have asked me to describe. I, they said, "Are you a film critic?" And I said, "Well, not exactly, because." You know, I, the way I see the role of a traditional film critic is that they're kind of like the consumer reporter for the movie going public. Mm-hmm. They took a, take a look at everything that comes out, and then they give it a yay or a nay as far as whether people should see it. Mm-hmm. 
And since I'm reviewing movies from a particular perspective, um, if I feel a movie isn't necessarily going to say anything of value related to the conscious creation process or the principles involved, I won't write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it's not that I'm trying to um, you know, ignore responsibilities for the movie going public, but I'm just not going to spend a lot of time writing about things that I don't think are going to give readers and viewers um, information that's going to be helpful in well, understanding... We- these concepts. Absolutely. And we do the same thing on New Consciousness Review because we get hundreds of books um, a, a month and we select the ones that we think, you know, will make a quantum contribution to people's personal growth. And so, in line with that, too, also, most people will find that most of the reviews that I write are positive, that I, mm-hmm. I like everything. And they say, well, how can you have credibility as a film reviewer? if you never write any negative reviews. And there are times when I, when I do. If there's a movie that's coming out that's really, you know, thumping its chest saying, oh, we're going to do great things for providing something to the metaphysical movie audience, um, if it does, I will give it high praise. And if it doesn't, I won't hesitate to call it out because uh-huh. I'll say you're not delivering the goods here. You're making promises to your audience that you're not delivering on. So I actually included a chapter in Consciously Creative Cinema that I called Misfires. Uh-huh. Where, where I took a look at, yeah, I took a look at several films that um, really came out with high expectations that, to me, I didn't feel really lived up to their pre-release hype for uh-huh. uh, addressing these particular issues. So, well, it was it was such a fun book to read, and I commend it to my listeners. Um, we've been talking about consciously created cinema, the movie lover's guide to the law of attraction by Brent Marchant. And Brent's website is brentmarchant, M-A-R-C-H-A-N-T dot com. Brent, I'm so delighted that you could join us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And now we have a bonus interview with a very special guest who is organizing a most amazing project. I'm speaking with Susan Johnson. You probably haven't heard about this lady, but I hope that you are going to hear a lot more about her and certainly about what she is doing. Susan is the Director of Operations of the World Peace Caravan. Just imagine a global peace movement that will culminate in a 12-day camel caravan from Petra in Jordan to Jerusalem in Israel in December of 2015. And that's what Susan is organizing. Welcome, Susan. Well, thank you. I am delighted to be here. This sounds like such an incredible undertaking. Give us the background of what the World Peace Caravan is all about. Sure, and and it is a big undertaking. It's been a lot of fun to do, but it's actually the vision of Gary Young. Um, Gary Young spent a lot of time researching in this area, uh, became very enamored with the frankincense trail and the journey that the Queen of Sheba took to make peace with King Solomon, you know, thousands of years ago. In his studying and learning, he wrote a book, a novel uh, called The One Gift. And then after he wrote The One Gift, he decided to do a documentary on it. He filmed the documentary over there, actually doing three camel caravans in that region. And on the very last camel caravan, there was a a, a huge sandstorm that came up during the filming. 
And you have to understand that there were people from all over the world that were helping on this particular camel caravan. You know, Australia, United States, Germany, as well as Egyptians, Jordanians, you know, many from the, the Middle East. During the, the filming, you know, Gary had always felt that, you know, although people got along, there wasn't a lot of cohesion. When this sandstorm happened and everybody had to come together to hold down the tent and make sure the animals were okay and to keep the equipment safe and people safe, when that sandstorm passed, it was amazing because all of a sudden all the barriers were broken. People that really hadn't spoken were having lunch together and laughing and enjoying each other's company. And it really struck Gary that, wow, what an amazing thing happens when people are put in situations where they have to work together for the common good. Fast forward a little, and Gary had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a camel caravan himself as, you know, part of a camel caravan coming from Petra and traveling across the desert together. And he saw people of all different faiths and backgrounds coming together and enjoying and laughing and children playing. So the first time he had the dream, he, he said to his wife, you know, I've had this dream. It, it, you know, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm supposed to do something like this. I think this is a calling. And she said, you know, we're really busy. Do you really think this is the time? And he's like, well, no, maybe not. Couple, you know, a couple months later, the dream came back again, more vivid, more detail. Uh, went back to his wife and said, you know, I've had that dream again. I'm, I'm getting the feeling that this is something I'm really supposed to do. And again, she was like, you know, okay, but, you know, we're really busy. You know, are you sure? And, uh, you know, kind of put it to the side. And I, I believe it was a year later that the same vision came back, but now it was really vivid. I mean, Gary can tell it in amazing detail. And so this time he decided to reach out to, to many of the, the spiritual people that he knew around the world. He has some friends who are Buddhists, and he has some friends that and you know, in the astrological field and different things like that, he reached out to five different people um, in different areas. And what was really amazing that each one said to him, you must do this. So Gary decided to go back and he sat his wife down. He said, Mary, I need you to sit down. We need to have a conversation. And so they sat down and, and, and he said, Mary, I've had the dream again. And she said, okay. And he said, no, you have to understand it's vivid. I really believe that I'm being called to put something together, to bring people together from around the world. And she looked at him and he said, you, you've got to do it then, Gary. And so the World Peace Caravan was, was, was created. Now, the World Peace Caravan focuses on young people. Correct. Uh, what age range are you looking at? looking to, to draw all youth in, but our main focus on this caravan um, is really that group from 16 to 24. Um, again, welcoming them of all ages, but I'll tell you what, what's really interesting is that in doing this, there are so many incredible young people that are in that age group that are doing amazing things around the world and have a voice that needs to be heard. And so our, our goal is to bring 12 youth ambassadors in. Uh, we're currently searching for youth ambassadors from all over the globe that will represent their country on the World Peace Caravan and the year before in an entire program working with the sustainable goals um, set out by the UN. Now, you're actually creating an online youth community, aren't you? We are. So um, part of the World Peace Caravan will be this year before where we brought on um, Kelly Sullivan Walden, um, and she's created a program that each month one of our youth ambassadors with Kelly will host a, uh, a, a phone call, a conference call, 
where we have about 150 seats on and people from around the world can get on that conference call and they will discuss one of these sustainable goals. There'll be um, a guest speaker or an interviewer. They'll talk about the goal, how it got there. Uh, there'll be time for question and answer. And then what we'll do is we'll post that on the back of the website and we're inviting everyone from around the world to come in and listen to that particular recording and make comments about what are they doing, how do they feel about it, you know, and, and start to join these communities together. There'll be a follow-up call uh, two weeks later in that same month where some of these people that have, have called in or written in might be invited back on a phone call or to be part of this particular conversation so that we can draw all these people together. Because the one thing we found is that there are youth doing things all over the world but there isn't a lot of opportunities for them to come together and, and co-create. Now, do you have like adult mentors who are sort of facilitating this? We do. You know, one of the things that we've asked is that um, when we reach out to speakers, now, so part of the World Peace Caravan, and I'll, I'll kind of sidetrack just for a second, there's four pillars to the World Peace Caravan. There's the actual camel caravan, there's the World Peace and Health Conference, which is on the Dead Sea in Jordan in the middle of the caravan. There's the concert, which is the wrap-up concert to the event. And then there's our youth ambassador program and our youth community. We have this World Peace and Health Conference that's a, a, a two-day conference on the Dead Sea where we've invited international speakers from all over that are involved in peacekeeping, um, women in peace, how health plays in peace, piece where we got to today. And one of the things we've done is each speaker that we've brought on, we've asked to become involved in our youth community. And they have all agreed to be interviewed by our youth, to be a part of that youth community. And what we've really found is that there's many people that want to that wanna join in. So we've created what's called the Pearls of Wisdom series, which are other interviews outside of the actual um, ambassador program where we will interview people from around the world doing uh, different things involved in peace that we'll be able to put on the back of the website for people to listen to. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's, it's great. And the goal with that is to, at the end of the World Peace Caravan, have created this program that can be compiled into something that if you are an after-school program or you're a teacher that really wants to work with peace or you are a youth organization, you'll be able to take that program and implement it yourself into your own, into your own community. This sounds like really an ambitious program. Uh, how is it being funded? We are a nonprofit, so we are looking always for sponsors and people that might want to get involved. Um, we would love to have people sponsor some of our youth um, as well as some of our youth calls. You know, the, the, the sustainable goals that we're working with um, have to do with things like eradicating poverty, primary education for all, um, women in the role of peacekeeping and, and um, gender equality. Um, it includes things like um, peace within and across borders. And there are many companies and people out there that are very involved in each one of these goals. So we're reaching out to them to help support uh, the calls, the ambassadors, and those type of things, as well as sponsor the World Peace Caravan. You know, one of our main goals behind the caravan is that, again, we know that youth are, are the way to go. We know that they're going to drive peace in the future is that we want to raise a minimum of $5 million to give back to um, orphanages, schools, and medical facilities so that we can help create healthy youth that will drive peace tomorrow. 
Do you already have some of your youth ambassadors on board? We have um, two from the United States that we have already been able to select, but we have a huge selection committee out there that we are looking for more applicants. I know that we've had some from Nepal and Pakistan and Israel, you know, many countries. Anyone can submit um, an application. They just go on to worldpeacecaravan.org and click on the youth uh, the youth ambassador program and they could submit. We're hoping to get you know, more applications and we'll accept them to sometime in the middle of the month of November. And this is for this particular peace caravan, but you don't have any such limitation for the website and the online community, right? Not at all. We want everyone to be involved. And one of the goals behind the program uh, that we're creating for the youth is also to have suggested reading for others, you know, suggested reading for peace and suggested reading for that younger community because we want to raise children up to be peace-minded. So it's, it's open to the entire world, as is the World Peace Caravan. You know, I, I always say that the World Peace Caravan is an opportunity to travel with people that you would never likely meet, Right? in a place where most people would love to go but don't want to travel to on their own in a way that's so different and compelling. I mean, think about it, a modern-day camel caravan. How fun is that? Well, it certainly uh, captures the imagination. Mm. Um, do you foresee that kind of joint operation expanding into actual projects on the ground? Yes. You know, one of the feelings that we've always had from the beginning is that we need to give back to the communities that we are traveling to. Um, we have, we're in the process right now working with an organization, a nonprofit in Jordan, where people will have the opportunity to come off the caravan on the third day and actually go and do a rehab project in an orphanage in Jordan. Lovely orphanages, clean, clean houses, unbelievable. But you know what? It needs paint. It needs some, some tightening of some cabinetry. It needs, it needs a little tender love and care. You know, it's been well lived in and, and a beautiful operation. So we'd like to give back there. Um, I'm working with another organization in the Palestine Authority that has a summer program for soccer. It's a way to get youth off the streets during the summer and give them, put them in a structured program. It's all about soccer, and they're looking for uniforms and balls and nets and things like that. So we're, we're looking to reach out um, to anyone that can help us get what they need there. And then we're working with a couple of different organizations in, in Israel uh, to give back as well. As well as, you know, this caravan requires many things, you know, porta potties, showers, uh, tents, sleeping bags, air mattresses, lighting, generators. Our goal is to get much of that donated so that when we're done with the trip, we can then leave that in the communities that need the most. What do you see as the follow-on after the caravan? You know, a couple of different things. You know, first and foremost, we hope that our youth ambassador and program will inspire people to put that into their own communities, to, to take what we've created and then 
pay it forward, you know, spread that bit about world peace. But one of the things that we know that we really want to leave, um, two things. Number one, by being able to travel with people from all over the world, and right now we have about 150 people signed up to go from 13 different countries, is that we hope to break down some of those barriers to create those friendships and, and to allow people to travel together and learn why someone does things the way they do in their community. So I can come back and say, you know, when, when someone makes a comment, I can say, oh, I traveled with somebody from there. Do you know why they do that or why they wear that or how they celebrate? It was the coolest thing to learn. So again, going back and in a small way, breaking barriers down in your own community. But the, the conference also has that opportunity. Um, Kim Langbecker, our conference producer, fabulous gal, and she's creating um, a conference that isn't just let's go sit and listen. It's about being involved and being given things that you can do to bring them back to your own community so that you can learn how to create world peace in your own home. Because we know that world peace on a grand scale is difficult, but the more that we can do it ourselves and bring it back to our own communities, it's a way to, to spread it out in that grassroots way. Well, every journey begins with a single step, whether on camelback or foot. <laughs> And let us hope that the World Peace Caravan actually has a destination of world peace. So, Susan, tell us again what the website is. Sure. Our website is www.worldpeacecaravan.org. I encourage everyone to go. The actual trip is there. The concert is there. The conference. And we also are looking um, to have people sign our petition for a world ceasefire during the World Peace Caravan. The more support we have, we'd love to be able to present it to the United Nations. We're looking for a million signatures so that we can get them to support us in, in asking the world to have a world ceasefire while we travel. Well, certainly that part of the world uh, needs peace more than just about anywhere. So blessings on your efforts, blessings on the World Peace Caravan, and Susan Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been great. And now I'm finally able to share a really exciting announcement with you. New Consciousness Review is going to be emerging as a multimedia interactive digital magazine. You'll be able to find it through our website, ncreview.com, as well as on iTunes newsstand and social media. I hope you'll check it out on our website again, ncreview.com. We'll be launching it the week of Thanksgiving. And now we're going to close with our track of the week by the lovely Laura Berman called Mend. I'm turned inside out And it seems my world is beyond repair There's nothing left in you and I live for the pain everywhere Think that the words aren't really felt. How do we move through it when we're lost in something else? Mm -hmm. See what's inside. 
was mend by Laura Berman from her album Everything in Between. Laura is a really shining example of the new consciousness, and she is the founder of Greater Good Productions. She now lives in Portland, Oregon, although she was originally from New York. Laura's website is laurabermanmusic.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed our show, and in the meantime, we'll visit our website. Don't forget to check out New Consciousness Review magazine coming Thanksgiving week. Well, I think that's it for today. Do join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.